A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, you'll hear from my voice right there that it's not necessarily a goodly morning, not a goodly morning from a football point of view, a tiredly morning to you from Dublin. I'm just back from New York, straight behind the microphone to do a podcast. That is the professionalism and dedication I'm showing uh, to the uh, to the listeners. It's good. I mean, you sounded like you were pained almost by saying my name then. James, it was like you winced James, as you said it. James! As James. always. Um, as always, apparently, it's sort of five years, roughly. That's right. Podcast. I saw a tweet yesterday from Dan Clark, who's at Dan Clark underscore seven, and yesterday he said, if I'm not mistaken, it's the 50-year anniversary of the Arscast Extra today. So episode 268 uh, coming five years and one day after the very first one. We should have a party of some kind, but can we wait because I'm really fucking tired? We can wait. We can wait. Did you enjoy New York? I had a splendid time, I have to say. It was really good to get away. Went to see the Book of Mormon on Broadway, which... Right. I, I can't even begin to explain to you how hilarious it was. I don't think I've ever sat there and laughed at something as much as I did. And you know me, you know I don't really have a great affinity for the theatre and that kind of mm. stuff, but this was sensational, really, really funny, really um, rude and offensive, which, of course, makes it funnier. Um, but a brilliant production. The actors and were, were amazing. The singing was amazing. The dancing was amazing. And it was just a, a fantastic experience. So uh, that was great. Um, went to watch the match with all the, uh, the Arsenal NYC Gooners in O'Hanlon's. Uh, oh, yeah. On 14th Street. So, hello to all of you guys and to everyone that I met there. Great to see you. Uh, not a particularly great game. And I have to admit that it feels like the game happened ages ago. Ages yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's partly because you've been away, but it does feel like that to me, too, because it's much right. further out, isn't it, than we would normally do in Ask Our Sexual because it was a Friday. Yeah, Friday. And here we are on a Monday. So, look, I have to say, certain aspects of the game are a little bit hazy. I haven't had a sure. chance to uh, re-watch anything. I haven't had a chance to watch any uh, highlights or bits and pieces that went wrong, apart from Koscielny getting a boot to his face, which we saw on replay over and over again. So that's seared into my mind. Uh, sure. So I might let you take the lead on this particular uh, game analysis, and um, I don't know how much use I'm going to be to you at all anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll take it from there. Away you go, James. Take okay. over. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we're out of the FA Cup. I mean, I, I don't want to mm. suddenly fire the the ball back to you, but uh, given that you know we we haven't heard from you on the on the blog, mm. I was wondering sort of how what your like if you had to sum it up in a sentence, how you felt about this game. Can you manage that? Yeah, um, disappointing to lose to Manchester United. 
particularly at home, particularly after it came uh, after the Chelsea game, you know, that performance where we were we were so enthused and wanted to build on. But when you look at how we lost, the injuries probably mean that a cup run wouldn't be something we could deal with as well as we might like. So as annoying as it is to lose to United, I think given the fact where Socrates is out for a month, did I see that? Yeah. Right. End of Feb, he's he's going to be back training, they think. Right. And Koscielny hasn't broken his jaw, but uh, still has a very tender... Sore face. Yeah, very sore, tender face. Um, Bellerin gone, of course, until next season. Rob Holding gone until next season. It's all it's all a bit of a mess. And, of course, we're doing a lot to offset those injuries by uh, looking to sign a 29-year-old winger. Brilliant. Mm. How mm. very Arsenal. Yeah, so, look, I, 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 I never want us to lose. Um, it, it was annoying to lose the way we did, you know, Alexis scoring and everything else. But I think maybe just not having to deal with the Cup is the the only little bit of luck that Unai Emery seems to have. Yeah, that's basically my thought too. Like, I, I really like the FA Cup. It's not a competition I ever would sort of throw under the bus. Uh, I think I, I, I hate losing to Manchester United. You know, they're one of the teams I really can't stand in this league. But despite all that, I'm not particularly sore about going out of the Cup at this point. I just think, given our priorities in the league... And by necessity, the Europa League, it's probably for the best. And the thing that concerned me most coming out of the game was those injuries because mm. defensively we look really stretched now. I mean, the fact that we're without holding a Bellerin for the rest of the season, like you say, it's going to be a month out for Socrates, who I think probably has been our best centre-half, most consistent centre-half over the course of the campaign to this point. Yeah, And Koscielny, who looked like he was coming back to something approaching you know, top form, uh, it's a a real, real worry. And actually, I think it was pretty decisive in the game itself. I think it had a massive impact, um, particularly losing Socrates early on. You know, it wasn't too long after that that we yeah. found ourselves shipping a couple of goals. And I I can't help but think that's not coincidence. Yeah, you, you mentioned on last week's podcast how much of an organiser he has been at the back. And... Yeah we didn't look at all organised after he went off, that's for sure. No, I mean, if you look at the opening goal, I mean, it, it is a nice pass from Lukaku, but Sanchez, oh, who whose goal was absolutely inevitable, might I just say. Yes. Especially given everything that's gone on since he went there and how poor he's been. Um, and in fact, on the Arsecast in the week, we had Moussa Okwonga on, a Manchester United fan, who was saying he's been terrible and he's finished and he's washed up. And I think that was probably what, put the final nail in the coffin of the certainty <laughs> that he would score. But he, yeah. he he should not have been played on side, really. I mean, you know, you look at Maitland-Niles, he's a guy learning that position and, you know, there's there's excuses to be made for him. I think Kolasinac was playing him on two, which is probably more of a concern. Mm. But Socrates is the player in that back four who you would think might have marshaled that line a bit better. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Mustafi and Koscielny, we've talked about them as a partnership in the past. In some ways, they're sort of too similar. I mean, you know, they both can be all right individual defenders, but I'd say they're sort of 
beta defenders. They're not the guy you want to lead the back line, really. And I think we just looked ragged at that point. Yeah, they sort of tend to bring out the worst in each other, Mustafi and Koscielny. Yeah, it's a bit like Vermaelen and Koscielny. Yeah. It's, it's not that dissimilar. And I think they're both... Uh, Sort of a little bit impetuous at times with the decision making. Koscielny's definitely got better in that respect. Mustafi mm. hasn't yet, and um, you know the big, the one of the big sort of positive notes that I took out of beating Chelsea was essentially the relegation of Mustafi to the substitutes bench and and the seeming establishment of Koscielny and Socrates as the defensive partnership moving forward. Yeah, that lasted all of. A game, unfortunately. Yeah, how long How long into the game was it when Socrates got injured? About 20 minutes, 20 minutes or so? Yeah, 21 minutes, Mustafi came on. And he really he... looked, I remember at the time, just he really looked, he's got a kind of sad face anyway, doesn't he? A bit mm. like, uh, you know, Dro- Droopy, the cartoon character. He looks a little bit like him. Socrates? Yeah. Yeah, he's got a downturned mouth. Yeah, yeah he definitely. really looks, you know, quite sad at times. He's got sad eyes. Um, and he really, really looked sad when he picked up the injury. There was, was a moment where he was coming furious. off. Yeah, he was. Yeah. But it was just more like, oh, I'm so sad now for me and, and for the team because I, I know what this means. Um, yeah, but he, you know, what he knows it means Mustafa coming <laughs> yeah. off, maybe. I, I, the way he reacted it to me, I thought, oh, no, this is an old injury and he knows how bad it is. Do you know what I mean? It looked yeah. like that to me, that he, where he was like, straight away, he was like, oh, I'm in trouble here. I've done this before. Uh, it, I don't think it's as bad as was feared. Certainly the sort of noises in the press conference and after the game, everyone was saying, you know, Arsenal quite worried about Socrates, how long this could be. And I think I think David Ornstein tweeted that they are sort of relatively relieved it's a month. I mean, I haven't seen a single fan be relieved it's a month. No. Um, I think from our perspective, we're like, oh... Good God, how are we going to get through this period? Um, But, yeah, he was pretty gutted to come off. And he was right because it was only, I think, 10 minutes later that they scored twice in two minutes. Um, You know, the the defending, as I say, on the first goal, not not particularly great. On the second, I mean, it was a a good counter-attack. It was one of those where you're kind of crying out for someone to stop it early. I don't know if you remember, but Luke Shaw carries the ball a long way. Yeah. Who uh, who who was closest to him? Because my memory of that goal, uh, like I say, it's a bit hazy. So I should, have to should, check that now. Should I actually. watch it again? Maybe I can yeah, watch it. Yeah, why don't it. you watch it again? Because, you know, I'll watch it's, it a, it's good to you, for you to get a refresher, if you can bear it. If I can bear it. Okay. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Man United goal, nil two. I'm watching on Arsenalist. I'll just turn of the course. sound down if I can do that. Um, I think it's Torreira who starts closest to Shaw, but he doesn't get especially close. He just carries the ball basically through our midfield. Then he finds Lukaku, and I mean, it's it's a, you'd have to say it's sort of too easy. Okay, I think, I'm going to have a look here. Um, oh, there's an ad before it. Skip in one second. I'm skipping the ad. Here's Lacazette. Okay. Get within range, but never really thought about shooting. Take the sound out. Okay, I see. Yeah, he kind of walks away from him. Oh, mm. that's not a good offside trap either, is it? No. No. And if you look where Shaka and Torreira's positions are, Koscielny goes for the offside, Mustafi doesn't. The midfield don't track back. The fullbacks are basically on the edge of the opposition box. I'm looking. It's not here. great. No, 
Kolasinac maybe could have got back. If he'd if he'd run the entire distance the way he ran the last three or four yards, he would have got back to Lingard. And I have to say, as annoying as Alexis Sanchez scoring against us is, Jesse Lingard scoring against us is even more annoying because he has one of the most annoying faces in football. It's like Deli Alley crossed with Joey Barton with a side dish of give me somebody else who's got a very annoying face. Oh man, Craig Bellamy? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. That kind of that kind of thing. Like I think the most excited I got towards the end of the game was where it looked like it might kick off towards the end and I was like, just let him and Kalasinac have a fight. That would yeah. be great. See who wins. See how big his mouth is if he has to fight Kalasinac. I mean, it's one thing uh, playing football against him. But um yeah, that's an annoying goal to concede and it was just a few minutes after the the first one as well. So okay. Two minutes, I think it was. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 a poor goal. Lingard, I agree, has one of the most irritating personas in mm. football. Uh, an absolutely infuriating human being, partly because he always seems to do quite well against us. I think he's got a, a distressingly good record against Arsenal. So There's maybe so that's why. so many of those players, aren't there? I, I know. I think that's partly why we can't stand them. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of those people as well who, like, when you see him on sort of social media and stuff, he appears essentially brain dead, but he's actually an annoyingly, irritatingly smart footballer. Like, yeah. his movement's really good. He's one of those people who's quite difficult to deal with. Uh, he doesn't seem especially good at anything. Yeah. And yet he always seems to be... But that's why there. he's annoying. That's what's annoying yeah. about him. You think fucking Jesse Lingard, and then he's, you know, he displays... If he's banging some... them in from 30 yards, you'd be like, okay. Yeah. But it's never like that, you know? No, no. Okay, so that wasn't good. That wasn't good. What else happened in the first half? Did we have any chances of... I mean, we had started quite brightly, if I remember. I thought we'd done reasonably well. Well, we scored a goal in the first half, Andrew. Lest you, lest you forget. Lest I forget, of course, Aaron Ramsey <laughs> setting up uh, Obama Yang, yes. Um, I, well, I, you I say was... that, I think Alex Lacazette had the, the deft touch, didn't he, where he tried to get on it the oh, final yeah, yeah, touch yeah. before it reached Obama Yang. But no, it was a good play from uh, from Ramsey to get in and, you know, nice footwork in the box. I actually thought he had quite a weird game, Ramsey, where he sort of ended up with the ball in the box quite often. And this was one of the occasions where... It panned out for him, but a couple of other times mm. uh, it didn't. He slightly overplayed or couldn't get the... You know, it, it was tight in the box. He couldn't quite get it away. And at one point I saw uh, Unai's assistant on the sideline sort of screaming at the substitute saying, why does he keep back healing it? And I thought, welcome to our world. You know, we've been wondering that for... for I mean, I, I say but why do you keep back healing it, but the reason is he had his arms outstretched as if to say why, and with his foot was doing a back-heeling motion after Ramsey had just given the ball away. So I, I was like, ah, yeah, you're you're a true Arsenal fan now. You've had that experience. Yeah. But in this instance, he did well. And, I mean, Aubameyang was there to uh, to tap in. And thank goodness he'd missed a few big chances, hadn't he, in, in games prior. But uh, yeah. it would have been tricky to miss this one. Yeah, were, were you confident at that point that we could... You know, give him a give him a good game. I or... don't know. I think I well, my main feeling was at least we've got a game at that point. Yeah, because, you know, and there had actually been a really good atmosphere around the ground. I think as a consequence of having beaten Chelsea the week before and um, of the excellent the light that, show, of course, which made of course a huge, the light show huge. I think difference. that was, was largely responsible for it. The light show. Pew, pew, but pew, I think pew, also pew. it being a Friday night, the ground was not full. At, 
kickoff, I must say, um, people were, you know, about 10 minutes late into the stadium, like, you know, tens of thousands of people. I, I did hear someone say that there were big delays getting in because a lot of people had bags with them because they were coming straight because from work, work and stuff like that. that. So uh, the usual uh, way of getting into the ground was was a bit delayed. So that might have been it. Um, but we did but have... It was a, like go on. great... Um, no, I was just saying like on the concourse and like in the the stadium, you know, before the game, there was more... The Arsenal fans were more vocal than normal, so I was feeling quite good about it. And I think had we gone in at two nil down at half time, it would have put a real a real damper on proceedings. But getting that goal back meant we were in a game. And with our propensity to come strong in the second half, I think I thought we had a very good chance of taking something from the game, even if it was a replay, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we did have a good chance, I think, early in the second half, if I remember. Mm. Ramsey uh, with a header, header, and it was a very good save. Uh, from a keeper who you know could be a bit Lingard in in that sense, um, making a, yeah, a I mean, sort of save a, you don't expect. It's sort of save you expect from David de Gea, really. Yeah, um, but no, it was a it was a, it was a good stop, and that one. I mean, I couldn't really believe that that hadn't gone in, and you do wonder, of course, how that might have changed the trajectory of the game. It wasn't to be, and one thing I would say is that as Arsenal pushed on for the second goal, it was inevitable, really, that United would would pose an increasing threat on the break because, you know, we've seen Lukaku do it against us before, especially playing off that right-hand side. They mm. had Martial to come on. They had Rashford to come on. Uh, those, are, we, those are two good subs, aren't they, to come on? Um, yeah. mm. Ideal, really, especially if you're looking to, to kill the game on the break. They've yeah. got Pogba, who is very, you know, d- dangerous in those situations. And uh, and amazingly, we, looks like a, a guy who enjoys football again, having been, you know, uh, given the yeah. antidote to Mourinho's poison. You know, uh, some of the stuff that people were saying about him and his uh, lack of performance really was strange to me, as if you know uh, there wasn't a good player there, or he wasn't ever a good player. I think he showed against us that he really was or really is. Um, mm. So look. We had that big injury to Koscielny, which was obviously very worrying, a very nasty collision between his jaw and uh, the boot of Lukaku. It looks yeah. completely accidental to me. Uh, I-, I thought for a moment that they were going to ask him to stay on. It looked uh, on TV, they were sort of having a discussion about maybe him staying on, and then they got him to do a few little movements with his mouth, like make an O shape with his mouth, and, and you could nearly see tears come out of his eyes. It was that painful. Uh, he he couldn't continue. What did you make of the substitutes that he made there? Um, because he was yep. about to bring on Ozil anyway, but putting on Genduzi and moving Xhaka back into the centre of defence. Mm. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, I think initially, as soon as Koscielny went down, they put they sent out Monreal to warm up. Yeah, which uh, makes sense. And and I thought, you know, it looked like maybe Monreal would, would be a decent replacement for Koscielny. I, I guess they wanted to get Gunduzi on for his energy in midfield and they didn't want to take Shaka off because of his, his passing range. But I do think that it... It, it hurt us a little bit. One of the ways in which I think it hurt us is that once Shaka went to centre half, I think Kalasnach was a little bit more reticent to leave him, uh, and I think understandably so because you don't want to see Shaka in a foot race with, you know, Rashford or, or anybody like it. So mm-hmm. I think Kalasnach actually he stayed closer to the halfway line 
uh, from that point. And so much of Arsenal's attack and play is built on these overlapping fullbacks, particularly from the left-hand side, that I think it did hurt us. So, yeah, on yeah. reflection, it was maybe a, a strange one. I actually thought Genduzzi was quite good when he came on. He was sort of typically busy and he, I thought, brought some life to the team in that last 20 yeah. minutes or 30 minutes, really, I suppose, with the added time. Um, but he was getting the ball in areas where you don't really want to see him with it, you know, because Kolasinac wasn't getting forward as much. There was a lot of Genduzzi sort of on the left wing yeah, and I, and I was like, I'm not really sure this is his game. You know? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, d- I don't really remember Genduzzi's performance that much, to be honest. But what I know is that if you play a central defensive pairing of Xhaka and Mustafi, uh, you're asking for trouble, I think. <laughs> yeah. Even if you can see some logic in why he did it, I do wonder if just bringing on Monreal as a defender to play alongside Mustafi might have been better from that point of view uh i'm gonna have to watch the third goal again but my recollection is uh again we had a a run uh through the middle which could have been dealt with a bit easily or a bit more uh quickly yeah lacazette um that Uh, tries a back heel that just misses i think it might be oh it's ozil yeah yeah uh Um, and pogba um Pulls away from Ozil, as you would sort of expect, to be honest. Uh, has a shot. And I, and I think I've seen Czech come in for some criticism. You know, I think in an ideal world, that keeper pushes that around the post. I think the bounce just before it reaches Czech is presumably what causes him to palm it straight into the path of Anthony Martial, who makes no mistake. Not great goalkeeping, but the absence of uh, anyone in that position tracking Martial's run uh, might be... a uh, a point of discussion. Not particularly good goalkeeping, but he did put it slightly wide. Yeah, looking at it again here is not not great from Czech, to be honest. I do wonder, maybe, having watched it again, if he if he could have held it. Wasn't that much of a shot? Yeah. I th- uh, yeah, I didn't think... I thought Czech... It's interesting, isn't what it? What is Mustafi doing? What is he doing? I'm just watching it again here. Sorry, my voice is really... Like, I know he's sort of looking behind to see yeah, Martial. I, I have a touch of sympathy with Shaka and Mustafi because there are no fullbacks. And yeah, neither, neither fullback is inside. So both players are sort of torn between closing Pogba uh, and worrying about the player outside them because they've got Rashford one well, side and Martial the other. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're saying and I accept that and they were left a little bit uh, in the lurch because the fullbacks weren't there, probably pushing up because we needed a goal but at some point as a defender you have to make a decision you can't just back off if you go to the man with the ball and he plays the ball to the guy who's free outside you at least you've made some effort to defend whereas mm. just backing off and backing off and backing off ends up with you know Pogba having a shot which could have gone in but which ultimately turns out to be a goal I mean they're just watching him Jesus Christ yeah Pogba carries the ball a long way without anyone getting close to him that's the thing I mean he's actually at the point where he takes the shot you can freeze frame it there are a circle of one two three four five nearly six Arsenal players around him but none of them are sort of within four yards yeah Uh, and that is disappointing but uh, you know it's a cup game we had to push on and try and get the result and I do think we were just caught yeah Ganduzi's Ganduzi's not great there either if you look at the way the move develops like he should have been on his toes straight away when Pogba picked it up he should have been across and and what you said earlier about stopping the move earlier I think he could have 
I think he could have if he'd been more defensively switched on. And for all the good things that there are about his game, it's moments like this where his inexperience uh, shows mm. that that make me worry uh, a little bit. You know, those are things he can learn or things that maybe he needs to be taught. But yeah, look, I don't think it, it, it's a goal that reflects well on anyone, to be perfectly honest. Um, no, yeah. no. And, and I think, you know, inevitably, I think after the sort of high of Chelsea, there was a lot of disappointment about yeah. losing to United. I would say this is a United team in very different shape to the Chelsea team that we played. I think that's one of the big differences. I mean... They are, this is what, eight consecutive wins. They have got loads of confidence. They are a real threat going forward. Whereas we were playing a Chelsea game with kind of no strikers on the pitch. Yeah. uh, Seemingly with a system they're not quite at home with yet. Um, And I think, you know, that that counted in our favour. I just think, I also think that the first goal is absolutely massive in a game like this. And I feel like, apart from Liverpool and City, you know, Spurs, United... Uh, Chelsea and Arsenal, I sort of feel like on any given day, any one of those teams can beat any other and that the margins are pretty fine Mm. at that point. And actually, it is that first goal that that so often proves decisive. We got it against Chelsea and we didn't here and it left us in a position where we were vulnerable and and, uh, chasing. But it's, you know, it's disappointing. But like you, I'm sort of... I'm sort of fine with it. I think especially having seen Spurs go out of two cups in a week. That's lifted my spirits. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to be a little bit sanguine about the whole thing. And actually, you know, when you when you think about the Chelsea performance as encouraging as it was, you know, it was predicated on that fantastic partnership at the centre of our defence. And when you lose both of those defenders in a game, having yeah. just lost your best right back, playing a, a guy out of position there, who we'd all like to do well at right back, and I think I made a case for him playing there, but has got a lot to learn, and maybe... What did you make of his performance? I didn't think he was particularly great. Again, I'd sort of have to watch again, but there there are things about Maitland-Niles' game that are really encouraging, but others which I worry about because I feel sometimes he can just be a little bit casual, with the ball and off the ball, that he's not quite as switched on as you would like him to be, you know? He d- he watches yeah. the game a bit too much rather than gets involved in it. He did have some good moments and put in some good tackles, if I remember. You know, he got stuck into a couple of duels down in our right-back position, if you like, near our corner flag and, and everything else. But I just think, in general, it, it wasn't great. But I wonder, what do you do? I mean, do you keep with him and let him learn on the job a bit? Or do you put in somebody like Licksteiner or put in Carl Jenkinson, someone who is more naturally a right back, even if you don't necessarily consider them technically uh, or physically as as good? I, I think the one encouraging thing about his performance for me is that I thought he grew into the game. I thought he was better towards the end of it than he was at the start. And maybe that's a sign that you know he can learn, he can adapt. I think that you have to accept as well that if you do effectively gamble on a young player in an unfamiliar position, there is going to be a cost at times. And against the stronger opponents, you're going to feel that cost. I think that if you're committed to him and you're committed to the idea, you have to stick with it. But it is 
uh, maybe harder to stick with it without those experienced centre halves in place. You know, if it's if it's the one guy in the back four who doesn't quite know what he's doing, you might get away with it. But if you've if he's playing next to Mustafi, it's a very different thing to play next Xhaka. to Socrates. And Shaka, and Shaka, you know, which, yeah. which is not to criticise Shaka for not being a good central defender because he isn't a central defender. As much as Unai Emery might like him to be or however willing Shaka is to do the jobs that he's asked to do, which I think you have to admire in a in a professional, you know, let's be let's be real about it. Even in midfield defense is not the um what would you say his top of uh, his qualities? Uh, mm. So sorry, my my brain is is not quite working. I'm just trying to say that Xhaka isn't really defensively minded anyway. So making him a defender <laughs> only exacerbates the problems that you have. And I suppose the other thing is that like as good as Chelsea was, and it was good and, and brilliant and enjoyable, it wasn't as if that was some sort of mendel or fix all that was going to, okay, now we figured out what to do and how to do it, and we're going to do that every week. I think we were always going to be a team that fluctuates in terms of performance and in terms of results because of everything that's going on that we know and that we talk about and we write about on a on a daily basis. You know, there are issues, fundamental issues within this team that can only be fixed with more patience, more time, and crucially, more money in the transfer market. So, it, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the game turned out the way it did. No, nor me. You know, I, I do think it might have gone either way, but I think the injuries played a massive part like you. And I also think going forward, you know, we didn't necessarily make the most of the possession that we had. I just feel like we weren't as efficient as we can be in the final third. But these things are tight. You know, look at Aubameyang's goal. It's good play from Ramsey, but his cutbacks actually aim towards Lacazette, who sort of scuffs at it and it ends up at Aubameyang's feet. You know, there Mm. were other times in the second half where we got in on the overlap and the pass wasn't quite there. But, you know, sometimes they go for you, sometimes they don't. I just thought, actually, I don't often say this, I thought we were quite unlucky in this game, especially when you factor in the way in which our players got injured. I thought we had a little bit of misfortune and, you know, we we came out the wrong side of it. But I don't necessarily... hmm, I don't expect this defeat to kind of weigh particularly heavy on the squad. In the same way that it doesn't... I've been able to sort of dust it off my shoulders. I think they will too, because I think they know there are more important challenges on the horizon. I mean, we've got a really big week this week with two Premier League games, one of which looks remarkably daunting right now. Yeah, what, when is Man City? On Sunday? Sunday, yeah. Right, and we're playing Cardiff tomorrow. Cardiff night. on Tuesday, which might be a bit of a, a strange game. It's their first game since uh, the, the whole Salah thing, you know. So uh, Yeah, be- I, I sort of saw that over there. That's just tragic. Um, yeah, really sad. So, And often those games are quite... You know, odd or fraught when there's was that sort of uh, thing hanging over them. But uh, mm. you know, it, it is nevertheless a game Arsenal should absolutely be looking to take three points from. I mean, Cardiff aren't, aren't the best, and with City coming up, you know, we need every point we can get this week. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, it's yeah, it's going to give Unai Emery plenty to think about, isn't it? Um, I think so because you know, there's that question of sort of. Who the fuck the do we play at centre half? That's the well, question. That's, that is the big question, yeah. And and also, do you do you rest players for City? Is there any point resting anybody for City? You yeah, know, would you be better making sure you get three points against Cardiff and just well, doing your best to keep yeah. City respectable? I mean, that's a terrible way to have to think about um, 
a game against a, a so-called top six rival, um, you know, but it maybe it reflects the reality of our situation and the way the squad has been damaged by by injuries. And of course, the transfer deadline day. When is transfer deadline day? It's Thursday. Thursday. Is it a five pm or is it a, an eleven pm? That I don't know. January transfer deadline, thirty uh, first January twenty nineteen. Let's have a look. Eleven pm. 11 p.m. Oh, for fuck's sake. I mean, why couldn't they just... That means live blogging all day about nothing. <laughs> about nothing! Apart from a, a, we'll probably sign a 34-year-old winger from somewhere, I don't know. We might discuss the uh, the potential transfer dealings in, in part two. Yeah, there's been a lot of questions about that. Yeah, um, and maybe what we're going to do against Cardiff and, and everything else. Is there anything else we need to discuss about the Manchester United game? before we put it to bed and never think about it ever, ever again? Uh, no, I think it is I think it is bedtime for that game. And as I will just mention again the the sucker that I was able to take from from Tottenham losing 2-0 to Crystal Palace. I Two did nil. enjoy that. Yeah, I didn't see... I only saw a little bit of that on Twitter yesterday because you I was You would have liked of, it. Kieran yeah. Trippier missed a penalty. Oh, I mean, he's, he's a Jesse Lingard. Yes, he's got exactly. a Lingard face. Yes, well, I thought that would be right up your street. I'm going to uh, Photoshop uh, a mashup of Jesse Lingard and Kieran Trippier and post it, and I bet you it's the most annoying face of all time. I don't even know if I can bring myself to look at that. You must. Yes, but you I must. Do. It's in your contract. I must. It's, yes, to become a man, <laughs> I must look at it. Uh, all right, will we take okay, a break? we'll take a break. Yes, okay. let's do it. We'll do that. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, but not on the Facebook page today because I was literally only back and didn't have a chance to post it. I didn't even post anything on Twitter. You did that, James, this morning. So all the questions today are from Twitter. And if people hear any drilling noises in the background, it's uh, James. It's at James's end, I should say. It's not it's you me. doing I'm the drilling. I'm drilling while doing the podcast. <laughs> yes. I, I'm very busy. No, it's my neighbour, and they've been drilling. They've been doing work there for about a week. Not the neighbour themselves. They've got people in there. It's a new neighbour. Drillers. Drillers, yeah. They've hired professional drillers. But I was 
here the other day, and they were drilling all day because I work from home, and I knew I had a podcast coming up with you, I think, the next day. So I said, I'm going to go around and knock on the door and say, look, are you going to be drilling tomorrow? Because it was much louder than it is now. It was right. sort of very invasive. And I went round, and as I knocked on the door, it was very uh, cold that day, and I'd not really been outside. Mm. And because it was so cold, my eyes sort of involuntarily started watering. <laughs> so I knocked on the door, and the, and, the, and the guy eventually came. I sort of had to knock a couple of times. And then he opened the door, and I was just there in tears. Like, oh. <laughs> And well, are you going to be drilling tomorrow? Because I'm going to do a podcast. I don't, I don't know if I can take it anymore. He was so nice and apologetic. It actually worked really well. Um, I think he was scared of what I might do to myself. So. Wow. Uh, yeah, but I mean, one of the more humiliating moments in my life. But there you go. Okay, well, there you go. Um, well, let's um, let's see if we can humiliate you further with a question, which comes okay, from great. from Rosa, who's at Rosa forty nine, and he says, "Do you know why we're seemingly not after a defender? It seems absolutely insane that we wouldn't try to get at least one defender in. Please explain." Well, I mean, I don't know if we're we're to believe them. The Mirror has a rumor, doesn't it, that uh, we are reigniting our interest in Gary Cahill. Uh, so, I, do you know what, though? I asked my brother yesterday, who's a Chelsea fan, I was like, we were watching the Chelsea game uh, against Sheffield Wednesday, mm. and I was like, what's Gary Cahill like? Like, is he good now? Is he bad? And he was like, he's fine. Like, he's okay. That's That was his take. He was like, he's not particularly bad. He's not done anything particularly wrong to get dropped. Mm. He's just sort of not flavour of the month with with Sarri. Yeah. But he was like, he's he's decent. He's all right, yeah. yeah. I mean, we have another follow-up question from Jamie P, who's at Doing the Frank. Now we have two more defensive injuries. Is Cahill now a good loan option, even after you both said no to him a few weeks ago? I mean, I don't feel like he's a good option, but no. he is... An option, if he's the um, option, and then possibly, that's... possibly better than nothing. Is it better than nothing? I don't know. I mean, your brother says he's fine. Well, yeah. I mean, he is a Chelsea fan, though, so you have to. He might be trying to trick us. Exactly. Exactly. What do you? Well, I mean, I'm, there must be questions about this, but what do you think about the back four? Just while we're on this topic, I mean, Jack Bernard says with Socrates out for a month and Mustafi an encumbrance to a solid back four. That's very well put. Is it time for Mavropanos to be thrown in at the deep end and we can find out what sort of player we have on our hands? How would you deal with the centre-half issue right now? Uh, that's the $64,000 question. I suppose tomorrow the option is... Well, he's got to play Mustafi because... That's the only fit centre half we have, fit senior centre half. Yeah. I'm assuming Kashelny won't make it for tomorrow, but should be yeah. okay for the weekend. So tomorrow against Cardiff, I think if Mavropanos is considered fit enough to play a Premier League game, because remember he's been out for most of the season with an injury, has only just come back and has only played whatever, uh seventy minutes of an under twenty three game. I don't know if he's if he's played Another one, That's that seemed to have been, what, a week ago or 10 days mm. ago or something? Mm. So I don't know. If he was considered fit enough, I'd say, yeah, fuck it. Why not? Well, I mean, it's it's better than playing Xhaka there, for example. 
which is something I, I don't want to see. And just to reply to a question that we have from uh, I'm Keenan at Keenan Mulvaney, who says, is Xhaka an option for centre-back for the rest of the season? It would allow us to play Genduzi, Lucas as a DM duo. Or have I lost my mind amidst this chaos? And I think, yes, you have kind of lost your mind. I, I just don't see Xhaka as an option at centre half, even though Unai Emery clearly sees something in that. I just I just don't, particularly when you've got to partner him with Mustafi. So why not? Let's give this kid a chance, Mavropanos. If he is uh, as good as we hope, if Sven's diamond eye was as good as we want it to be, then we should have a player on our hands. But we'll never know unless he plays, really. Um, so no, in, in the absence true. of any other option, I don't see why not. I, I have a slight reticence to bring Mavropanos in if it meant him having to play against City, just because I I think I have recollections of young, promising centre-halves mm. being sort of destroyed by, you know, one really bad game kind of hanging over them for a long time. But I think against Cardiff, it's an ideal opportunity to play him. And I would do that. And I think if Koscielny's not back for City, you've got Monreal potentially who can step in there, who I actually think is... Yep. A pretty decent centre half. I think he's probably a better centre half than Mustafi, to be honest. Yeah. Do you do you read anything into the fact that he didn't use Monreal there on Friday night, or was it more a case of getting Genduzi on the pitch to give us something in midfield while Xhaka could, you know, do a job, so to speak? Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's that. I mean, we know he loves Genduzi. You know, we know he's one of his his favourite players in the squad and he, he loves to use him, I think, pretty much in every game. Uh, so I think it was about that because Monreal, you know, he's a decent passer from centre-half as well. Mm. He could be someone who helps bring the ball out. I think, you know, he's very different physically but sort of stylistically sort of the closest we have to Rob Holding in terms of someone who can carry the ball up the pitch and and interact with people. So I, I'm i quite pro Monreal at centre-half and I'm quite anti-Mustafi but I do understand that he is going to pick Mustafi because of the lack of options. Hmm. Um, anyway, so the original question was, do, do we see us buying or... or why, aren't we, in? why aren't we buying defenders? Why aren't we? Rob Kiersey says, should we be looking at uh, a centre-back Christensen from Chelsea and a right-back of Aaron Wan-Bissaka? Oh, he's the Crystal Palace guy. He's good, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, or perhaps a young and up-and-coming centre-back Elvedi from Mönchengladbach. Who the hell is Elvedi? Let me just have a look. Here. I don't know if I know El Nico Elvedi, Swiss central defender. What could go wrong? Well, what could go wrong? Exactly. <laughs> it's been a perfect formula for us in the past. I saw that guy, Fabian Shah, scored for Newcastle the other day. You know, we were linked with him, weren't we, for years and years mm. as a Swiss central defender. Never happened. Um, I am surprised that we're not being more strongly linked with centre-halves. And if you believe David Ornstein, that's not really on the agenda for Arsenal. It hasn't been, at least, until those injuries on Friday. They've been talking about midfield players and wide players. Mm. That is surprising, I guess, the only way to interpret that is a big statement of faith in Mavropanos. But if that is the case, then we better play him and find out if it's well-placed or not. Is it possible that we're not being linked with any defenders now because we're looking at specific defenders for the summer? That would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be. That I mean, be... That, that would make some sense and we could take some comfort from that, but... Yeah, not much comfort between now and May, but no. I think it's the best possible interpretation of our seeming disinterest in, in, in 
buying one. I mean, especially at this point. Look, it's hard because we don't know how bad Koscielny is. We were all expecting a broken jaw, which I think would have been, you know, maybe a couple of months now. I don't know how long it is. Yeah. Um, now that it's just bruising and tissue injury, it might be quite a lot shorter. So we'll have to wait and see on, on, on him. Um, but, yeah, we definitely, in the mid-term, require defenders. So if it's not this window, it, it'll have to be next one. Yeah. Uh, we've We've had a lot of questions about the transfer activity uh, or, or the rumours at least that have been circling around. Let's see if I can find one of the ones that I had here. I mean, this is Mark Holmes, who's at Holmes to 79. Mark says, is spending £40 million on a 29-year-old Perisic really the best way to spend our limited funds? Would we not benefit from buying a young centre-back instead and targeting young hungry players going forward as our transfer market philosophy? And then, just as a sort of point of contrast, uh, Abinav, who's at Abinav R on Twitter, says, is the high amount of pessimism over the Perisic deal, a player who looked outstanding in the World Cup, a sign of the broken trust between fans and the club? Well, I don't know if it's a sign of broken trust between fans and the club, but I'll remind you that El Haji Juf looked fucking great in a World Cup too, didn't he? Hmm. Um, so I, I don't really use that as any kind of measure. I was just looking up Perisic's stats for this season. 25 games played for Inter Milan, three goals, five assists. He's going to be 30 in a few days. Uh, I'm not even asked to do that joke. Um, you know, I, I have to say spending any kind of money on him would be mental, uh, £40 million. Pounds. I just can't see how that sort of a deal could be justified for a player who's going to come in on probably big wages. Isn't that the problem? Isn't that the problem? A, we don't have £40 million, pounds, and B, we can't afford to pay more players big wages because we're paying Ozil, we're, pay, we're paying Mkhitaryan, we're paying uh, Obama Yang. It's part of the reason why Ramsey's contract was withdrawn because we yeah. just simply don't have the ability to finance wages at that level at this moment in time. So it it seems to me a, a strange one. You could tell me this, and maybe it's something I dreamt or something I just um, made up uh, while I was crossing the Atlantic, but was there some suggestion that this Perisic deal could be a swap involving Mesut Ozil? Is that, is that a thing? That... that has been reported in some sources but I've only really seen it in like the Daily Star I, I'm not oh, okay. particularly convinced that that is on the table I think they're talking about a loan with an option to buy so like a, a 5 million euro loan fee I think is what That's Arsenal fucking proposed huge though 5 million pound loan fee for does that include his wages or is that just what we we pay into I think Milan. That would not, I think we would then pay, probably take over his contract. That's fucking thing. mental. Five million for three months of football, four months at the most. Mm. That's that's ridiculous. You know, if you're going to spend five million, spend five million on a young player who may not be brilliant this season, but could give you value for five million pounds. Paying five million pounds for a guy like Perisic to come in and play fifteen games for you. I don't really I don't really see the logic in it and I don't really see any logic or coherence in the transfer strategy at least the public facing one. I think we have to accept that there are probably things going on behind the scenes where you would like to think there are that that we don't know, right? But in terms of the names we're being linked with, 
and the, the standard and the, the, the type of player, it doesn't give you a huge amount of, uh, what's the word, hope. No, I mean, I, mean I, I can't believe you can say you don't see a strategy. I mean, the man used to play for Borussia Dortmund. That, you know, that's, <laughs> that's long been our strategy. Um, Thanks, man. Uh, what a parting gift. I know. I mean, his, his final prank, I'll give you another Dortmund player on a big contract. I am really surprised by this rumour. I, I think that Perisic is a good player. I think he's had a really bad season for Inter Milan by all accounts, but I think he's a good player. And when, I, when he was linked with Manchester United in the summer at £40 million, I didn't really blink at that. I sort of thought, well... That sounds about right. Mm. But but I find it hard to understand bringing him into a squad where you've already got Meza Ozil on a really high salary. You've already got Henry Mkhitaryan on a really high salary. You know, both players 30 or so. Uh, Aubameyang, same sort of age profile, same sort of salary. You know, if you ask me, would you rather have Mkhitaryan or Perisic? Right now, I'd probably choose Perisic. But if you'd ask me, do you want both? I'd probably say, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't understand what's going to happen there unless they're extremely confident that they can move Meza Ozil and Mkhitaryan out of the club this summer. Mm. I don't understand this deal. But unless they're very, very confident they can do that, and I can't see how they can be. I can't see what sort of market would exist yeah. for those players. It's odd. You know, Perisic would be on... You'd have to think... At least 150 grand, you'd think, right? Yeah. It's really weird. It it's is. It's a really weird one. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not denying his usefulness because I think everyone's looked at this Arsenal attack and thought, well, it would be good to have a proper wide player with a left foot. Yeah. We've ne- we haven't had that for a long time. You, yeah, um, you can see logic in it from that point of view, but at a time when we're absolutely decimated at the back in terms yeah. of injuries, it feels like a sort of indulgence to bring in a 30-year-old left-footed winger on a big wage. Um, you know, which isn't to say, of course, that we couldn't use somebody in that area of the pitch, but there are other issues, I suppose, which which need to be addressed. I mean, what it, go on. What it feels like to me is opportunism. Like, it feels like, I can't believe this was top of their agenda. It feels like, you know, I know Raul wants a, a relationships-based approach, and it feels like someone with a relationship has said, look, my player's quite keen to get out of Italy or out of Milan, are you interested? And Arsenal have maybe said, well, we regard Perisic as kind of a Champions League player. We don't get presented the opportunity to sign many of them. Uh, this is a, a chance for us to do that and maybe a short-term mm. a short-term fix that might get us back into the top four. And that is the absolute priority ahead of everything. Yeah. And I guess that the equation they're doing is, are we more likely to get into the top four with Alex Awobi or with... Perisic and yeah. I guess they're thinking Perisic but it, it is difficult to understand that joined up strategy I suppose the only thing you would say is that we're also being linked with players at the other end of the age scale uh, well not not even actually Dennis Suarez is like 26 isn't he 25, like 26 yeah he's like an Emmy Martinez of midfielders you yeah. know you think he's younger than he is um, he just hasn't played any games uh, but the guy from PSG, did oh, you see this story? Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. What kind of a player is he? I don't really know too much about him, but, you know, this is, this is, uh, this feels like, okay, there's nothing wrong with using your knowledge of a previous club, but it doesn't feel that strategic, does it? 
No, again, it feels like someone Emery knows. Emery played him quite a lot last season. When Neymar was injured, he actually played in Kunku on the left wing as right. well. But he's kind of the Ainsley Maitland-Niles of Paris Saint-Germain in that it's generally anticipated that he will become a sort of box-to-box central midfield player. In the meantime, he has played practically everywhere else. He has played, I think, uh, right back, right wing back, right wing, left wing... Uh, number 10, central midfield. So he is a very versatile squad member of PSG mm. who's meant to be a decent enough prospect. He's 21. Uh, and that's one way, if Arsenal could do a loan with an option to buy, even at like 20 million euros, it feels like, okay, there's an upside on that deal, potentially. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the kind of deal that's got more potential than yeah. slapping a big wage packet on a guy who's had a terrible season for, for Inter Milan, you know. And, yeah. you no, know, I agree with you that Perisic is a, or has been a good player. Um, I just worry about the, the, the profile of our squad and the and the kind of signings that we're making or that we're being linked with constantly. They don't feel like the kind of signings that have anything other than short-termism about them, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean Aubameyang we... was that kind of Go age on. when he arrived and has had a very good 12 months. I think the issue is... I don't think the issue is that a 29-year-old can't... Con- oh, he's going to be 30 next week, I think, Perisic. I don't think the, the idea is like, well, you're washed up at that age, you can't contribute. No. I think it's what it does financially to us that is the concern. Yeah, yeah, and just in terms of the, the age profile of your squad, you need to start yeah. adjusting that because we've got a number of players in around that age bracket already who are going to have to be replaced. And I'm not sure that replacing them uh, with another one is is doing anything other than kicking the can down the road a little bit. Um, did we talk Sven? I think we might have talked about Sven uh, a little bit uh, yeah. in, in the previous one, but his... Announcement has since become official. He'll leave after the end of this transfer window. I think it's quite interesting. I don't know what you've heard, but I've certainly heard uh, a few stories from behind the scenes as if to make out that Sven wasn't doing his job and that they didn't particularly rate him, uh, which I find a little bit odd. Convenient? Yeah, convenient, as if they're somehow trying to shape the narrative from from within. Um I also think that some of the sort of uh, anti-Sven stories seem to have come from people within Arsenal scouting setup who were there prior to Sven, and it wouldn't surprise me if Sven didn't have the greatest deal of respect for some of the work they were doing. So mm. that may be part of it as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's spin on both sides here, undoubtedly. Yeah, no question, no question. But I just, you know, I think... Uh... I think if you come out with a convincing strategy in terms of your recruitment when you're letting one of the most highly regarded recruitment guys in European football go, then it becomes easier for people to to swallow that or to accept that decision. Um, when you're sort of being linked hodgepodge with former players at former clubs and 29-year-old, nearly 30-year-old wingers who are going to come in on big wages, it becomes a, li- a little more difficult to convince people that... Um, that's the way yeah, to go. Yeah. So, If we let Sven leave, or Sven leaves, and we sign Perisic and Cahill, people are going to be thinking, I'm not sure about this direction, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I will completely understand. I mean, I think the problem is that Arsenal are thinking short-term right now because they're looking at it and saying, 
it's January in May. We need to be in the Champions League. What can we do right now to facilitate that? Yeah. And I do understand that. And that's why they're saying loan to buy, I think, half the time, because maybe if we what does that say what, someone like go on what does that even mean loan to buy you know we'll, we'll take him on loan and there's an option for us to buy but you know we're probably not we're probably not going to buy him we just want to loan him for can we not just say that can we loan him till the end of the season and fuck the option to buy because we've no intention of spending 40 million pounds on on Ivan Perisic Maybe they can, but maybe Inter Milan aren't willing to just let someone go on loan without the carrot of a potential permanent deal down the line. But I mean, we're not going to do it anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think if we got into the Champions League, we'd probably think, oh, that's financially less of an issue to us. Maybe if he's been really good, we we would. Yeah, maybe. I, I think the likelihood is we'd say, loan him. And then if we don't make the Champions League, we're like, well, obviously this would be financially mental. Let's not pursue it. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't even surprise me if they set up some sort of clause where you know it was in some way contingent. Like if Arsenal did qualify, they'd owed Inter Milan more money or something like that. It right? It, you know that's not beyond the realms of possibility. But it is a weird deal. There's no, there's no two ways about it. I, I do think Perisic would probably make us better for between now and the end of the season. I really worry about what it would do to our capacity to recruit in other areas, though. Yeah, um, a deal of that size when we need to do that. You know, come the summer, we need to spend money on our defence desperately. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we need to spend money on our defence now, as soon as we can. <laughs> really, you know, and it's not uh, the the Socrates injury, of course, is unfortunate. Uh, the Koscielny injury again, unfortunate. But when did Hector Bellerin do his? Um, well, a week ago, wasn't it, against Chelsea? Ago, yeah. So, yeah, more than a week now. You know, and Rob Holding, you know, we know has been out. Um, yeah, I just worry that they're kind of thinking, we'll fudge through the defensive side of things because we're not that good defensively anyway. Does it really make that much difference if we don't have any defenders? Uh, and let's see what we can add to the attack. Uh, you know, I get, I understand the short-term thinking because there is a need to get back into the to the Champions League, but maybe maybe a slightly longer-term uh, approach and plan would work out better in in the long term. You wonder as well, maybe if there is... Uh, as, as much as he's a far-away owner and as much as he is absentee from the club, you have to wonder as well if there's an edict from on high that is shaping the way we're operating at this moment in time, right? So is it a case... How would that go? Well, I mean, I'm just sort of saying that uh, Stan and Josh might well have put it to Raul and Sven and uh, Vinay uh, while Sven was there, of course, and to Unai Emery that Champions League qualification this season is absolutely crucial. However you get it done, get it done. Mm. And after that, maybe you can start to put in place some longer-term plans. Um, you know, Vinay spoke... Uh, last year, not long after taking over, about how this was costing Arsenal tens of millions of pounds every season being out of the Champions League. Mm. you know. And at the other end of things, Stan Kroenke has just put $1.6 billion of his own money, of his own money now, into uh, the stadium for the LA Rams. That's yeah. going to bite. 
regardless of how rich you are, when you're personally guaranteed for $1.6 billion, you want to make sure your other franchises, as much as I hate to use that word, are earning as much money as possible, right? So I wonder if the way we're operating right now is a consequence of him placing those demands on the people running Arsenal. That would make some sense. That would make some sense because ultimately, you know, those pl- those people, Raul, Unai, they're all accountable to to the Cronkies, you know, and mm. if they say this is what we need and we need it now, they're going to move everything they can to make that happen. I mean, there, a few people have asked over the last few weeks, and, uh, and you'll have to forgive me because I don't have it in front of me now, but what the success of the Rams and them reaching the Super Bowl might mean for Arsenal, if anything, is their relationship there that you know is there anything we should look for that might have an impact on us no i mean i don't think so i don't think so i mean so this idea that somehow cronky if the la rams win the super bowl uh cronky will will be somehow addicted to winning and discover that winning trophies is actually a nice thing and then transmit that to arsenal with the same kind of you know investment in uh, in the team i don't just don't see the the correlation i did ask on twitter uh, because i don't know enough about american football whether we should be supporting the rams or not and there was a lot of absolutely no fuck off but then there was also a lot of well the a lot of people don't seem to like the the patriots um so it feels like a bit of a Spurs versus Chelsea Super Bowl, as far as I can tell, in that there's no right way to, <laughs> no right team to support because they're both terrible. And apologies mm. to any Patriots fans or, or LA Rams fans out there. Uh, this is just the feedback that I've been getting. Uh, I can't speak enough about uh, the American sports teams. I did really enjoy watching uh, college basketball while I was over in the, the States, by the way. Every bar has TVs all over the place, always showing college basketball, which is great fun, by the way. Uh, But as for what impact the LA Rams running the Super Bowl would have on Arsenal, I would say none. No, but we might have to pay for their stadium. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I've just seen on Twitter that Gazzetta della Sport are reporting that Inter and Arsenal are now negotiating a middle ground deal for Perisic uh, that would please all parties. Clauses that would make the loan permanent, such as appear- number of appearances or Champions League per qualification. Champions League qualification are now under study. So, uh. funnily enough, what I just said does seem like might be on the table where that it's a conditional deal. Um, mm. I mean, it's very curious. I can't really see what's in it from Inter's point of view, to be honest, unless they just want to get shot of him, which I think might be a bit worrying but there you go yeah yeah look we we uh, have talked about this for a while and we have not found any sense uh, <laughs> <laughs> or any solution or any rhyme or reason we can only speculate about why certain things well, are happening and we'll, we'll get to the end of the transfer window and all will be revealed yes i'm sure that uh, raul or uh, Unai, or maybe even Stan or Josh will give a full, lengthy interview in which they explain the thinking behind all these transfers. No question, no question. Communication has been uh, top of the Arsenal skill set for a long, long time, and I don't expect anything to change. Uh, What about this? Uh, Ado at Hand of Emery. Lots of talk about players coming in. Do you see any player leaving this week, even on loan? I can't really envisage anyone going. Uh, No. I mean, Nanny? yeah, sort of, but like I, I feel he's sort of a bit of insurance, El Nenny. Yeah, and he's been on the bench more and figured a little bit more regularly, hasn't he, with all yeah. his injuries? I mean, look, he's clearly not somebody that, that Emery 
once in his squad, really, because he would play him otherwise. But when you have so many injuries uh, and when maybe you're thinking about using a central midfielder at centre-half, which could be what he's going to do with Xhaka, uh, then you need to have some backup in the central midfield position. And I think he, he gives us that. So I would be surprised if anyone were to go. Even someone like Carl Jenkinson, I we might need to keep... let him go. No, I think we just need to keep him around because... If we get more injuries or if Maitland-Niles doesn't grow into the right-back role the way we hope he might, then he's got to find another solution. Um, so I, I don't see anybody going. I, I think this is a squad which needs additions, not departures. Uh, there was a there was a, a story somewhere that Jenkinson had been told he couldn't go out on loan. So I think that decision has been made. Emmy Martinez went out, he joined Reading. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, and actually that segues nicely into this uh, question from Adib, who's at underscore, underscore, underscore Adib on Twitter. He says, with Czech retiring at the end of the season, how should Arsenal move forward with the goalkeeping department? All our keepers below uh, Leno are very inexperienced. Should Arsenal splash big on a top keeper to bench burned Leno or a younger one to deputise until they're ready to be number one? Um, I mean, I think the fact that Emi Martinez has gone on loan to Reading tells you you know, that he's not the guy. I mean, he's 26 years of age and has barely played any football. I don't see how he could possibly be uh, ready to become the Arsenal number one or to to genuinely challenge Leno, who, whatever you might think of him, is the same age, basically, and has played 350 games, 400 games more than, than Martinez. Yeah. At that age, yeah. I think that in an ideal world where we had loads of money, I'd say let's go and buy someone who... He's a real contender for the number one shirt and, you know, pushes Leno and maybe even supplants Leno. I think given what we have to do in the first team, the, the requirements at centre-half, at left-back potentially, maybe on the wings, I wonder if they'll go for someone who's more of a, a kind of steady deputy, just in the knowledge that, you know, they, they need to allocate resource. Surely there must elsewhere. be a 29, 30-year-old goalkeeper not wanted by his club out there that we could bring in, you know, on loan, James, perhaps with an option to buy. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, <laughs> the, the, I suppose the difference about this is that I think you probably are bringing in someone, you know, if, if you really believe in Leno. And I'm, I'm, I like Leno, but I'm not convinced yet that he's like the long-term... Mm. answer for Arsenal sure but I, I just worry that there's so much other work to do that I you know I'm not saying we sort of call Mark Schwarzer and get him out of retirement or anything like it but I just wonder if it's somewhere where they maybe save a bit of money rather than dropping another 20 million on a, another keeper what do you think um, I mean, we did spend quite big on Leno. You know, it's the most we've ever spent on a goalkeeper, uh, yeah. £25 million. So we have made a considerable investment there. Like you, I think he's been quite good, but I, I, I'm I, yet to be fully convinced that he is the, the guy who should be the number one. Maybe he's the right guy to be number one at Arsenal right now. But mm. if we envisage an Arsenal... That is challenging. I'm saying this, I'm thinking this in my head and then just thinking about how ludicrous it sounds or how far away it sounds. You know, an Arsenal that might challenge for the Premier League or do things in the Champions League. Uh, yeah, I'm talking out my arse here. That doesn't seem to be gonna, like it's going to happen anytime soon. So, look, maybe Leno is the guy. If it were me, I think I would like 
the club, and I think this is kind of the way I would like to see this club operate, is to bring in a younger player with potential who can develop and challenge the incumbents. I think we need uh, an injection of youth into the team, whether that's from the academy or otherwise. I think we we it's our only way, really, of getting to where we want to be because we're not going to go out and spend big money on established uh, players, I don't think. You know, all this, I don't see any way we're going to spend $40 million on Perisic, for example. So mm. I think changing the age profile, bringing in some younger players, I don't mean 18, 19, but you could be talking about players coming in at 23, 24 years of age, you know, who, who've got a bit of uh, football uh, under their belts who are ready to take the next step. It's identifying those talents, uh, of course, and uh, we're not sure who exactly is is going to do that. Uh, there is some talk about the you know technical director and the the scouting guy, the the guy who's our scout in Spain uh, is going to head up. Yeah. How do you pronounce his name? I just said Kagigao, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I I've looked at his name a lot. Um, <laughs> I can't really. Yeah, Kagi Kagigao. Kagi? Kagi, Kagi. Yeah. We'll just call him Kagi, the Kagster, Kagorama. Um, he's Francis, a, we can call him. Yeah, okay, that's, that's good. We could call him Francis. Yeah, I mean, he, he does have a good eye for a player, as we know. He's he's found Cesc Fabregas, but, you know, that was 2004 or mm. whatever that was, 2003 even. You know, so there are so many questions about what way we're going to uh, build this squad. Uh, you know, to me, it makes more sense to bring in a young goalkeeper who can understudy Leno rather than a Mark Poom style signing who just sits around and doesn't play that much. And when he does, we go, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. He's yeah. a goalkeeper, I guess. Sure, sure. Sure. <laughs> we, they, they have to bring someone in, that's for sure. I can't see Martinez staying on as number two. No, and there um, doesn't seem to be anybody else underneath. Uh, you know, Matt Macy is out on loan at Plymouth, but apparently hasn't been great and has just lost his place in the team there. Um, I know there's uh, the young... Is he Romanian? Iliev? Iliev, yeah. yeah. Who got a new I'm contract, sure interestingly. He's, he's Macedonian. Macedonian. My apologies uh, to all our Macedonian listeners. Um, there's actually a piece on uh, Askblog News by George Bird about the sort of the youth goalkeepers that are coming through. Right. And there are a couple there, but uh, they're a long way away, I'd say, from contention. I mean, Iliev's mm. 23 now, so... I, you know, I, I realise that the development curve is different for goalkeepers. I accept mm. that. But I think if a player is 23, 24 years of age and he hasn't really played any first-team football, I think it, it's not necessarily a good sign, even if you are a goalkeeper. Yeah. No. It's, it, well, it's tricky. It's very tricky as well. Like, what do you do from there? You sort of have to go out on loan, but then by virtue, you're, you're not really in contention for the first team. So it's... It's a weird one. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we have another question? This one is from... Oh, where's it gone? Oh, yes, Chris Nielsen at Chris Nielsen 4 He says, how come we as a fan base have become so aggressive? I'm thinking about the Shaka incident. We all have our favourite and non-favourite players, but to abuse them like that, dot, dot, dot. dot what dot, did you dot. make of that little uh, exchange between Shaka and a fan? Yeah, I saw it there this morning just as we were, um, we were talking. Um... Yeah. 
I don't know what was said to him, really, to make him react like that. Um, he was telling yeah, the guy the stuff to, that we can't see on the tape. Uh, that, sure. that has to have been. That has to have been. It has to have been going a lot longer than the what ten or twelve seconds of of stuff that we saw. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't really think abusing players is helpful in any way. I'm not sure that Xhaka was necessarily the right target. If the, if it was frustration at the game uh, against United on Friday night, I'm not sure that he should become the lightning rod for the way we, we played or the goals that we yeah. conceded. I mean, I yeah. understand that fans get frustrated and everything else, but I don't really see what abusing them does other than create an argument and something for for the tabloids to get their juicy teeth into because it, it, it generates so much um, interest, uh, you know, clickbaity kind of stuff that it is. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, there is a tendency for some people just to be arseholes, you know? People who use social media to tag in players to call them names and stuff like that, you just wonder what is missing in those people's lives, that they feel like that's the right way to behave or an acceptable way to behave. You know, if somebody does something terrible, by all means, address them. But, you know, just, I don't know, just not playing very well or not being as good at football as you might like isn't a good reason to abuse somebody in public or on social media. And I don't think it's restricted just to Arsenal fans, you know. You no, see, I think you see that point. Yeah, you know, we see this stuff across social media and across other fan bases. We're just not as in tune with it as we are with our own uh, fans and and what have you. So it's and not any a, objection to Shaka giving a bit back. No, not really. No. If someone said something objectionable to him and he tells him to shut up, I don't. What's wrong with that? I mean, Sharp's not that bad, really, it's in not. the scheme of things. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been. It probably was much more mild um, than what was directed at him in the first place. Mm. So, you know, being told to shut up is, you know... If you if you need to be told to shut up, you've probably said something uh, you shouldn't have, you know? Yeah. But it's it's a societal issue. This idea that you are entitled to lambaste somebody for, you know, for not being as good at football as you would like them to be. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. it's very, it's self-indulgent. And I know, look, we can sit here and we can talk about players and we can criticize their performances and, you know, that's all well and good, but this is a podcast. We're not, we're not sending this audio file to one of the players and saying, no. we think you're terrible. You know, we don't go to Mustafi's house and put a speaker through his letterbox <laughs> and play the podcast to him. No. That would be cruel and mean. And he would have every right to tell us if to he shut told up us to shut up. up yeah. Oh, he'd be bang on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We would we would take that uh, without any uh, hesitation. You know, I just think sometimes people think that this is just an Arsenal fan problem. That somehow we're the only ones with these terrible fans, and we're not. We're not. Every fucking club has them. And as soon as you see a player do something bad on a football pitch, I reckon if you put a search into Twitter with their name and fuck off or their name and die or their name and, you know, something else abusive, you'd find a lot. You'd find a lot. It's not just Arsenal fans 
that behave in this way. So, uh, I don't know. I blame the parents. Teach your children better. I agree. I blame the parents. Yeah. As someone without children... I can say that. <laughs> Quite safely. No, with no consequences. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll blame the parents for everything, I think. The transfer policy, uh, the abuse of uh, Jacques and anyone else who got abused. Uh, I think, James, that I have to leave it there because my brain is very slowly winding down. Well, wait. In that case, can oh. I do one more question? Yeah, okay. Because I saw it last week and I didn't get to it. And the right. guys asked it again this week. And I think I've just got to... You know, I've got to do my due diligence here and, okay. and, and ask you it. It's come from Wojciech Augustniak on Twitter. And Wojciech asks, would you rather fight one Hulk-sized Terrera... Oh, fuck's sake. ..or a hundred duck-sized Kalasinaches? hundred duck-sized Kalasinaches. Just kick them, <laughs> kick them around. Simple. OK. I don't want to right. fight a Hulk-sized Terrera. That's quite scary. Can we buy one for our midfield? I'd yeah, like that. That would be nice. That would be nice. I doubt it. Unless he is, of course, 29, out of favour <laughs> at his own club. And used to play for Dortmund. And we could get him uh, on loan with an option to buy. That's yeah. the only way it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> OK. All right. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Uh, thank you for listening, James. Thank you to you as well for covering uh, the Arsecast on Friday as well. My pleasure. Uh, we will be back uh, next week to talk about the Manchester City game. Oh, God. Oh, oh man. God. At least that's not the five-year anniversary. Can you imagine? That yeah. would be a hell of a party. Well, let's keep fingers crossed we can, we can put a defence together that can keep out Cardiff tomorrow night. And uh, we'll discuss all that and more in the Arsecast on Friday. So until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.